Morning. We are, uh, believe it or not, only four weekends away from Easter weekend, which is crazy, coming up fast. We are going to celebrate, of course, the resurrection of Jesus and that message of Jesus' saving work on the cross. And, and that's, a, that's a message that has impacted thousands of people in this very room over just the last few years. You know, as a church, we try and understand our culture that we live in, and like a wise missionary, we want to figure out whatever way we can to proclaim the good news of Jesus to as many people as possible. And so you know, one of the things we started doing a few years ago is we provide the best Easter egg hunt, maybe in the metro, after each one of our Easter services. So people come, they hear the gospel, they hear the good news about Jesus, and then go out to the egg hunt. And we'll see, I don't know, maybe over 2,000 people this Easter weekend, the majority of which don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're going to tell them about Jesus. Now, there's a lot to do to prepare for that. And we're going to talk about that kind of in the coming weeks as we ramp up to that. But before we do anything, we need to pray. And so our hope is to collectively pray for that weekend for 8,000 minutes, which is a lot. And specifically, we want to pray for the people in our own individual lives who don't know Christ, that they would come and that they would respond to the gospel that day. So in the hallway, today when you leave, what I want each and every one of you to do is, uh, even if there's a line, just wait. Stop by the hallway table or come back after you pick up your kids. There's a prayer packet that you can sign up that say, I'm going to pray for my friends, for my family, that they meet Jesus on Easter. We want all of you to take one, sign your name so we know that you took one. And we can get to 8,000 minutes of prayer if 191 of you take a packet, agree to pray for at least three minutes a day for this, which isn't a lot, for the 14 days leading up to Easter. So it doesn't start for two weeks yet. And if that happens, we just know that God is going to move. He's going to move in uh, unbelievable ways. Uh, it's pretty amazing. So uh, one more thing I wanted to say before we get started with the message this morning is please, please be back here uh, next week. Uh, next week, uh, we are going to start uh, what I believe is going to be, and, I, and I'm not exaggerating here, one of the most important series that we've ever done, really for the direction of our church. God is just, I'm not quite sure what he's up to, but he's just really been moving something deep in the hearts of many of our leaders, and we just want to share that with you. Uh, over the three weeks uh, leading up uh, to Easter. So make sure you're here next week for the start of that. Okay, you know, uh, deep inside, I think all of us want to be great. We want to be significant. We want to be the best at something. We want people to look at us and say, wow, she, just look at her. Like, look what she's accomplished. Or look how nice he is or how smart he is. They're great. Now, some of you are maybe reacting to that internally and going like, I actually have no desire to be like the greatest of all time at anything. But at the root of it, I think all of us have this desire that we just want to be better than, like better than someone else. And if you don't believe that people have this inward desire to be seen as great or impressive, uh, perhaps you haven't heard of uh, the latest technology. It's called, um, let me look here, uh, social media. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, this is fascinating. So according to this, um, this is, this is going to blow your mind. You get this, this page, right? And apparently it's all about you and people are into this. Like they want to see it, right? And, and your job is to go and post 
pictures of yourself and uh, your deepest thoughts so, so you can go and you can show how much greater you are than other people. And if that's not working for you, uh, the secondary option is you just, you just post uh, cat videos and then that's, that's okay. C.S. Lewis, who, uh, believe it or not, uh, died before Facebook was invented, um, said, said this. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. If, if I'm a proud man, then as long as there is one man in the whole world more powerful or richer or cleverer than I, he is my rival and my enemy. You know what he's talking about? See, you, you might not have the desire to be a CEO someday or something like that, but I think all of us have this desire to be better than and to throw as many people below us in our minds as we possibly can. Right? Maybe for you, because this, this is different for each of us, like maybe for you it's people who don't have your education, and they're lower than you in your mind. Uh, maybe it's people who don't parent like you in the way that you parent. Maybe they don't have as much money as you. Right? Maybe they're not as fashionable as you. We feel like we need to be above somebody, preferably as many people as possible. You know, I... I love sports, and uh, one of the things that's always fascinated me, just fascinated me about professional athletes, is their perpetual dissatisfaction at not being the best. Like, especially now in this sort of 24-7 media culture, like, there's some media type that's always pointing out their flaws, right? And it actually gets at them. It's like, you're a professional, famous Athlete, right? You make gazillions of dollars. You have bazillions of followers on Twitter. And some media person, right, from their suite in their mom's basement uh, makes some comment about you, right? And it gets at them. And they're angry and they're frustrated and they're so dissatisfied by it. And so are we. You know, Teddy Roosevelt once famously said, comparison is the thief of joy. Because there will always be someone who's a better parent than you. Always be a better leader. There will always be someone who's in better shape. There will always be someone who's a better friend, a better cook. You will never be great enough. And see, to me, I think when you actually look at the culture and you see all this, it begs a lot of questions for me. Here's some of them. Why do we feel this pressure to constantly compare ourselves to others so that we can feel greater or we can feel better than? And why is that process so dissatisfying? And what even is greatness? And how do you find that in your life? You're going to see in our our Bible passage today that the road to greatness, to seeing great things happen through your life, actually looks almost nothing like most people think it looks. I want, to, I want you to follow along in our passage today. There's a Bible under every chair. Uh, we're going to be on page 842 in Luke uh, chapter 9. Uh, or you can follow along in the Renovation Church app. You just have Bible uh, and weekly verses. 
So we're continuing in the book of Luke, which we've been studying for quite some time. Uh, It's one of four books in the Bible about the life of Jesus. Uh, Last week, we saw Jesus do another miracle, and everyone's talking about how great he is. And then, weirdly, people are now talking about maybe how great they can be. And this is just a a wreck. So, all right, watch this. So Luke chapter 9, verse 43. says, While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully. To what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man, that's a, a term Jesus used to refer to himself. So you can read, Jesus, myself, is going, not that I'm Jesus, I'm, I'm reading, okay, <laughs> is going to be delivered into the hands of men. He's going to die. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. And then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. That's the Father in heaven. For it is the one who is the least among you, all who is the greatest. Okay, there's a lot in this little passage now, clearly the disciples were wrong, right, for arguing about which one of them would be the greatest. They're not getting it. That's, that's ridiculous, right? But we can't, we can't miss something here. Look carefully at what Jesus says. He actually is going to say, this is the one, though, who is the greatest. And he's going to point to the one who is the least. And that is, this is something we can't miss. There is something godly about that desire that you have within you for something great to happen through your life. In fact, in the, in the parallel passage in Mark, one of the other stories about Jesus, Jesus says, anyone who wants to be first, right? So he's, again, he's validating this desire. Like if you want something great to happen, but he says, must be last. And so there is this God-given desire for what I would call godly ambition. But that looks nothing like selfish ambition. In fact, in the Bible, in Paul's letter to Galatians, you might, you might know the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't, look it up. It's Galatians chapter 6. These are the things that happen when you, when you just dive into the Lord, the things that come out of your life. Paul also, before that, lists what we would call the rotten fruits of the flesh, the things that happen when you don't give yourself over to Jesus. And one of those listed is selfish ambition. So the road to greatness, like the road to God actually doing something great through you, I think it looks almost nothing like most Americans would picture it. Like if you went out on the street, just started talking to people all over the country and said, what does the road to greatness look like? Great things happening to you. Right? They're going to give you a bunch of tips grounded in uh, selfish ambition and self-fulfillment and self-advancement. But greatness is never going to be defined by the size of your house or how good your kids make you look or the number of people that like you. If you want to actually experience greatness flowing through you, then you're going to have to be willing to take a really different road than the rest of the world. And that's a road where we stop striving to make ourselves great, but we make God look great instead. But I'm just going to warn you right now, uh, this road that we're going to talk through today is not an appealing road. Uh, Jesus says that few take it. It's narrow. It's probably a dirt road. I would bet most people don't even know it exists. Like, it's not even on their map. 
looks kind of windy, might be kind of dangerous to walk this road. It's got this, uh, you know, one of those rectangular green signs, and it's, it's labeled Loser Street. In fact, as we sort of walk through this road today, I, I'm guessing that inside, almost everything within you is going to want to run away from this. You just want to, you're going to want to get on the culture's highway to greatness instead. But I'll just tell you, if you truly want to see greatness happen through your life, and you don't want to live in perpetual dissatisfaction, you'll get on this road that Jesus is talking about. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give you two action steps for how to walk on the road to greatness, for seeing God actually do some amazing things through your life based on what we read in this passage. So here's the first one. You want to see God just really start moving through your life? The very first thing you need to do is lay down your ladder. Here's the thing. I think every single one of us has some sort of ladder in our minds. It looks different for all of us, but meaning that there's this ladder that you have people, people that you have deemed as really special or important or successful, and in your mind, they are above you. They are better than you. But we also have a whole bunch of people in our mind, and for most of us, there's more below us than there are above us. A whole bunch of people in our minds that we have deemed below us on the ladder. And for a lot of us, our goal is to try and avoid anything that will make us go lower on the ladder. And we, we often pay attention, really, to only those that we would deem higher than us on the ladder, right? Because that's going to increase our greatness. And so let me give an example. You show up at a party, or even house groups, for goodness sake, or you show up at a work event, and immediately, you're scanning the room for the people who will make you look better. Right? Maybe give you an opportunity to climb the ladder. Or maybe someone will, who will just always say nice things to you so you can feel like you're higher on the ladder. Most people don't walk into a room of 20 people and say, all right, where are the social outcasts at? Like, where are the people who no one enjoys talking to? Where are the people who basically everyone in this room has deemed them beneath them on the ladder? I need to find them. I feel like almost no one does that when they walk into a room. And yet, I think about the life of Jesus. Like, who's he looking for? Yet, if you want to walk on the road of greatness, you want to see God greatly move through your life, that's pretty much exactly what you would need to do when you walk into a room. Okay, look at Jesus' actions again carefully in this passage. Verse 47. It says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Okay, now context is really important here because we read this passage really differently than most people did throughout history. So Jesus brings a little child in, and in our culture we go, oh, I love children. Oh, so cute. Right? I just, oh, kids, right? Wonderful, right? Today we almost worship children. You could call it a subtle form of idolatry for many children. Like we structure our entire lives around. Like, if someone 
from pretty much any time in the past, right? You pick some time in the past. Like if we could time travel them to today, to our culture in America, and they would watch us parent, what would they say? Right? They would almost certainly say, so let me get this straight. You, you take little Johnny to football, and that's a, that's a game you play with your hands, not your, I don't, to football three times a week? And, 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 and you take little Kate to ballet all over the Midwest, and she's five. They're going to look at you and say, when my kid was five, I didn't even know their name yet. <laughs> so I was like, which, which one of you? Hey, you? hey, you, go milk the cow, right? And so in Jesus' day, right, and really throughout much of history, children were not important. And obviously they were probably too far on the other end of the pendulum. You should know your child's name, right? But children were mostly ignored. They had no social status. They were at the bottom rung of the ladder. And Jesus says to us, if you want to be great, you want to see God's greatness really move through your life, then you need to start welcoming in the people that everyone else thinks is on the bottom rung of the ladder. And I actually think children are a really fascinating example for Jesus to use, right? Because he also could have brought in, like, say, the, a really poor person or a homeless person, or a refugee, but he brings in a child. Why? He brings in a child because children are completely ungrateful. Amen? All right. Like, you can move a mountain for a child, and they are not going to thank you. <laughs> One family in our church recently told how they took their children to Disney World which is no small sacrifice, right? And then at the end of the trip, they asked, what was your favorite thing about this trip? Right? And that's where as the parent, like, you're waiting for, like, mom, dad, first of all, I just want to thank you for your, right? <laughs> but, no, their, their kids responded back. You know, you're thinking, oh, it was a magic kingdom. The kids responded back and said, swimming at the hotel pool. <laughs> Like, your heart just dies. You're like, you know, that, you know that hotel next to Culver's and Blaine has a pool, right? Like, we could have taken you there. And I think sometimes as parents, we go, it's okay. Like, they'll thank us later. They won't. They won't. They're just, <laughs> it's just never going to do it, right? And the, the, the people, those of you that are grandparents already, you can attest to that, right? And so Jesus is telling you, if you want to walk the road to greatness, you want to see something happen from your life, then you probably need to spend more time with those that you think are below you. You need to spend more of your time with those that you think are below you than those that think you think are above you. You need to spend more of your time with the people who are never even going to thank you. And it's not, you're not going to get anything out of it. But what's happening in that context? Well, that just simply means that you are finally living for his greatness, right? And not just your own. Not things that just push you up. And let me be completely honest with you as I, I try to be. I don't really want to do this. I said it. See, I, 
I was raised in the, as a child of the 80s and 90s, like many of you in this room were, and I feel like almost every kid of that generation, I was told how special I was, right, and how great I could be if I just got in advance to this or AP that or got to this college or lived in this city. I feel like my whole life I've been conditioned by the culture to rise above and surround myself with those above and make something out of my life. If I just put my dreams to it I, and my, my hopes to it, I can feel above. Like I'm supposed to rise above not spend all my time with those below. And most of you, whether you admit it or not, you feel the same way. Or at least your actions prove that you feel the same way. But the truth is, we're never going to walk on the road to greatness. We're never going to see God start doing amazing things to the lives of the people of Renovation Church until we lay down our ladders, until we lay them flat down on the ground, because you're not greater than anyone. Nor are you in and of yourself better than anyone. Period. See, I think that you can lay down your ladder if you truly understand the implications of the gospel of Jesus. That we are all sinners. Every one of us. And there is nothing, I mean like nothing, that I did to earn God's love. Like, there's nothing I did to make me better in his, oh, look at David, he did this, now I guess I'll send my, no. There's nothing I did. See, and that alone makes us all equal in worth, in value. We're all sinners at the bottom in need of a savior named Jesus. If you're here and you've been telling yourself that you're not good enough to come to Jesus, I would just say, then join the club. We're all lying flat on the bottom with you. He can forgive you and change your life if you believe that he died for you and you let him in. But I, I, want, I want every single one of you to hear this. You'll never be able to stop self-promoting, which is what most of us do nowadays. Like our, our own marketing department. You'll never be able to stop self-promoting. You'll never be able to stop climbing the ladder. You're never going to be able to stop feeling like, i got to be better than, until you can accept there is no ladder. We're all just people in need of a Savior. Which leads us really to the, the second action step that you can take. You can fundamentally change about your life if you want to see God's greatness come through you. And so, if you want to walk on the road to real greatness, it starts with you, number one, laying down your ladder, and then here's number two, you pick up your cross. You're going to need to put to death, right, that's the symbol of the cross, death, you're going to need to put to death something in your life. And for a lot of you in this room, it's going to be incredibly painful, and this is why people don't want to walk on this road. You need to put to death the pursuit of your own greatness. Greatness for your own sake. Like you're putting to death this foundational goal that is so deeply entrenched with many of us as Americans. How we have to show everyone else how great we are, or that we've arrived, or that we are better than. Why? Why do we... Well, why put that to death? Why, why, why give up that pursuit? Because by God's definition, 
it is not great. Okay, the disciples are arguing about, oh, which one of us is going to be the greatest? Is it you, John? Is it me? Is it... And Jesus brings an example as the greatest. Who's he bring in? Does he bring in King Herod? Or does he bring in somebody famous? Hey, Pontius Pilate, get over here! Does he bring in the rich young ruler? He brings in a child. He says, I don't think you guys get this at all. It's actually the least among you who is the greatest. Uh, in Mark's gospel, we're, we're told this happens. Mark 9.35. So sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. How hard are you trying to be last? How hard are you crucifying self-promotion in your own heart? And the servant of all. Like, what is it to be last but to live in self-denial, to pick up our cross, to put others first? Like, this is the only way that people are going to see Christ in us, is if we put to death our own pursuit of greatness. I'll, I'll just ask you this way. Are any of your friends seeing Jesus when all we do is talk about our latest vacation or the latest greatest thing that your kid accomplished or the latest achievement you had in your life or how awesome your new car is. No, they're not seeing him. They're seeing you. God's greatness is revealed when we put ourselves last. Paul says it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Like, how many of us are doing this? So that, watch this, watch, watch what, when you carry around death, you pick up your cross, right? You put yourself last. Watch what happens. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. When you stop pointing to yourself, right? You put that to death, people can actually see you point to Jesus. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. See, God, let, me, let me tell you a couple of ways how this works. God is revealed when we do things like this. Okay, you reach out to say your unsaved friends, like people from work, your neighborhood, people that you have in your life that they just don't know Jesus. And you reach out to them and you say, hey, you know what? Like, we just believe that God wants us to be a blessing to people. So we just want to bless you guys with a date night. And so why don't you just drop your kids over at our place on Friday night, and we'll watch them. I know you guys haven't been out for like two years, right? There's a lot of Americans like that. You're like, somebody do this for me, right? And, 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 and you say, we're going to watch your kids, and you guys go out on, on a date night. We just believe God wants us to bless people. But a lot of you aren't going to do that, Right? Let me tell you why I won't do that, okay? I'll just, I'm going to reveal my sin to you. Here's, here's what would stop me from doing that. These are the thoughts of my very sinful mind. I'm going to go, yeah, see, I would, but I wish that their kids were actually, like, well-behaved <laughs> or, like, as behaved as mine. How do I get over that? Well, I lay, I lay down my ladder. I lay down this idea that like I'm just better than my kids are, but I, just, I lay it down. And the other reason I'm not going to do it is I'm going to say, oh, that, like, that would just be so much work. I work super hard. I work a lot of hours. By Friday night, I'm just exhausted. Like, I don't need to be watching somebody else's kids. 
What do I need to do? Well, I pick up my cross. I said, okay, all right, I'm going to do it. You lay down your ladder, you pick up your cross, and then God's greatness is revealed through you. Let me give you another example. A God is revealed when, okay, let's say you know someone who's just, they hit a tough spot financially, and they're struggling to pay the bills. And you have somebody deliver to them $200 with an anonymous note. We do this all the time for people. Our elders are often doing this for people all the time, handing money to people. And on the note, you just write, hey, I just want you to know people really care about you. And our God in heaven really, really cares about you. Sounds like a great idea, but most of us aren't going to do it. And I'll tell you why we won't do it. See, I look at that and I think, all right, I'm sorry, if you wanted like a really holy pastor, uh, Uh, You're going to have to hire somebody else. But here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, uh, see, I would, but in my head I'm thinking, now if they just would have managed their finances correctly, then they wouldn't have been in this mess. Right? You know what I'm saying? What is that? David, lay down your ladder. Right? This idea that I'm better than. See, God's greatness can't be revealed through me when I'm always above. So you lay down your ladder. And I'm also thinking, I'm not going to do that because you know what I could do with $200? I could do a lot with $200. You pick up your cross. You say, oh, just for you, Jesus, I don't say, this is a sacrifice. It's a death to my selfish ambition. But I'm going to do this. You lay down your ladder, you pick up your cross, and God's greatness is revealed through you. And God is made to look great, not you. And I want you to notice something that's super important in this text that I think many, 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 many modern-day American Christians just miss. We are missing this right now. Look at 48 one more time. It says, Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child. So you're doing something for the least, but what are the next three words? Say it out loud. In my name welcomes me. Okay, so if we're just going out and serving people, but we're never mentioning the name of Jesus like he tells us to, then he's not being made great. So let me just ask you this. How did Jesus most lift up the name of his father? He did it in his death. He proved God was great by walking the road of greatness which was actually the road to the cross. This is what our passage said. Jesus says to him, guys, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men. He was willing to be despised, to be rejected, because he knew that the road to the cross would lead to his greatest victory. Imagine with me for a second that Jesus decides that he's just going to make himself great, right? Uh, He says, I'm going to run for office. Does anybody know who Jesus is 2,000 years later? Probably not but he's willing to become the least in the kingdom, to be rejected by the world, rejected by his friends, to be tortured, to be ridiculed, to be killed, and out of that, the greatest thing the world has ever known happens. And so I will ask you this morning, are you willing for Jesus and his kingdom to lay down your ladder and pick up your cross? Are you willing to do more of the things that are going to make a difference in eternity 
and thus let go of some of the things that are only making a difference for you in your incredibly short time on earth? Will you choose humility? And I will warn you. You're not going to hear this from a lot of places, but I'm just going to warn you. If you don't, if you decide, I'm just going to keep building my own kingdom. I'm just going to keep self-promoting my life to everyone and how great that I am. If you're only concerned with making yourself great, then that will all come crashing down eventually. And even if it doesn't crash down in this outwardly visible disaster, the dissatisfaction of living for something you were never actually made to live for will slowly just eat you away inside. You were, made, you were made to point to him, not to yourself. And if, if you just spend the rest of your life striving to make yourself great, you're eventually going to feel anything but great. But can you see it? Can you see this? Can you see how greatness actually comes from him through you on this narrow, dirt winding road that almost no one wants to take. I just want to ask, can you feel it? Like, can you feel the release and the freedom that would come if you laid down your ladder? Like, wouldn't that feel good? You know what I'm saying? Like, wouldn't it feel good to just stop climbing the ladder you're never going to get to the top of and just rest in his grace? Like, can you, can you sense the joy of not having to promote yourself anymore. When like deep inside, I just look at myself and I think, oh, there's like, oh, there's nothing worth promoting here. You just sense the joy of letting go of that. Can you, can you see it? Like, can you see the smiles of those that you serve and they see God because of you? Lay down your ladder, pick up your cross, and then and only then you'll be able to lift him high. Let me pray. Lord, I, we just come to you as the, as the people of Renovation Church, and we want to be different. We don't want to be like everybody else. God, we, we, we don't want to posturize and market ourselves as great. There's not a whole lot great about us. We want to be a people who make your name great. God, because when people see you and not us, they're going to move. They're going to come to you. Lord, may we, may we lay down our ladders. May we pick up our cross. And may you just continue to birth a mighty movement out of this church right here in Blaine, Minnesota. In your name we pray. Amen.